0: In a bit of a departure for the World Triathlon Podcast, this week I got to speak with not one but three legends of the sport, all age group triathlon devotees with more than 50 world championship appearances between them. Up first we hear from Bob Plant, a veteran of 25 world champs representing the USA and winner on the Gold Coast in 2018. At around the 23 minute mark we talk to Australia's Kate Bramley, a world triathlon and ex-Terra champion and coach. And from just after the 47 minute mark, Peggy Chrome has some brilliant tales to tell from her 42 World and European Championships for Great Britain. Hope you enjoy the stories. Bob competed in his first World Championships back in 1991 in the 45 to 49 age group on the Gold Coast, Australia. That would be the first of three visits to the region and most triumphantly two years ago when he won his first AG World Triathlon title in the 75 to 79 age group. Bob has amounted an incredible 25 World Championship races over the years and as the World Triathlon team has been digging through the archives, it seems like the perfect time to catch up with you, Bob Plum. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here, Doug.
0: So it's safe to say you've got the triathlon bug and it's never really let go.
1: Well, I didn't really start triathlon until I was like 45 or so. um, I didn't know how to swim, I thought I did. Uh, But after I got in the pool, I realized that I really didn't know how to swim. And my buddies talked me into getting into the sport because they had been doing triathlons for a few years. And uh, so I bought a bike and uh, got in the pool. And and, the rest is a journey, (laughs) quite immensely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so coming into it, uh, you know, in your your mid-40s, taking into account your kind of working life as well in terms of what you were doing training wise and then building up to a big race, you know, how much were you, were you squeezing in, uh, before, before these races?
1: Well, uh, I've been known to be what I call a minimalist. I don't train. I don't overtrain. once in a while. I've done that in the early stages, not knowing what my limits were until injuries pop up. But, uh, I have a really light training schedule unless I'm, going for an Ironman then I, I pump it up of course but uh, really my mileage is very low I mean I'm lucky to run 12 to 15 miles a week during training and swimming six seven thousand you know a week and biking maybe 35 40 50 miles something like that that's my average uh, load for like a international distance and I think it's helped in the long run because i am able to stay in the sport mm. for years whereas a lot of my buddies are you know their knees are gone or whatever issue they may have but I've been able to to hang in there a little longer so um, the saying is you have to outlive your competition and you have to put them in the sport meaning not in life but uh, so the I think the minimal training has helped me quite a bit, stay more fresh, and I work full-time still at 77, and so um, my training is about the same.
0: So casting back to uh, you in your early 40s, were you somebody that had already like traveled the world a bit and, and seen many of the countries that you were about to get to explore, or, or was it really triathlon that brought that element to the? July.
1: Well, really brought that element. Um, I had traveled somewhat. I was, you know, in the Air Force, U.S. Air Force. So I got to travel in the Pacific and in Asia quite a bit. But yeah, I've been to Europe uh, quite a few times. But triathlon really did it for me. So that was really nice because then I knew it. I had it on my schedule. I'm, I'm going someplace else every year, you know, get to see the world a little bit. So mm. that's been, great uh, aspect of the triathlon so
0: had you been to the north of england before manchester
1: oh uh, manchester was my first northern england experience uh, just
0: as like back-to-back experiences gold coast to manchester is kind of as chalk and cheese as it gets i think
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly well, i like to go to hawaii a lot and uh you know i love to race there so um yeah, you see all different conditions. You know, Vancouver was an experience. It was a really cold day where they canceled the swim.
0: Yeah, that was quite a legendary race, wasn't it, for a few yeah, reasons? Yeah, but uh, thank
1: goodness they canceled the swim as I was standing on the shore waiting to hit the water. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all kinds of experiences. I mean, that's it. That you never knew, you always learn something, always have different experiences uh, on your trips and uh, learn new things, meet new people, and uh, always bring back great memories.
0: Was it Penticton that I was looking through some of the times there was one particularly close finish in for your, was it for your first equathlon gold?
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, you never know the competition if you haven't done that race before, you know, who's the good guys that you have to worry about. So yeah, I got out of the water about a minute and a half back and i just kept pushing hard and hard and i just slowly slowly pulled up on the guy and with about 50 yards ago we got on the blue carpet and i have a sprinting background so i have some fast twitch fibers still left <laughs> and i was able to uh, sprint uh, to the finish line ahead of my competitor so that was very exciting <laughs> that was actually was i think my first world championship uh, victory but uh, after coming in second about seven times he <laughs> was nice to be the first <laughs> you
0: know and to do it like that it was probably yeah. that added like not again not again right
1: yeah that it just kind of goes to show you don't ever give up you know just keep pushing because you never know what's going to happen you know towards the end of the race so you just have to keep uh, doing the very best you can and uh, hope for the best
0: or how the other guy's feeling right i mean
1: well, yeah a little shocked
0: <laughs> it could always just be a couple of yards from blowing up you just never know that's right would so, you rather be like uh just tracking someone in that situation or just in front
1: uh would i rather be in front or tracking uh well if i'm coming from behind i'll, I'll track them and then you know time time it just right to you know <laughs> put the final sprint to it so to speak and it's usually worked out pretty well so But I don't mind running from the front, too. You might run a little scared and run maybe a little harder all the way because you don't know where your competition is, whereas if you're tracking, you can gauge how you feel and how the other competitors look, you know, so you can kind of get a sense on the strategy a little better. Yeah. But I don't mind being in front. That that, uh, keeps you going.
0: And your first uh, podium was – 98 in Lausanne, right?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yeah.
0: And a pretty incredible course, Lake Geneva. and
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that place. I mean, uh, it's just the venue is outstanding. And uh, it's always, they put a great, great pre post party that year in a huge tents there and they fed you efficiently. And it was so well done. And uh, this past year, uh, you know, they put another good race on. The swim was a little touch and go because we didn't have wetsuits. And the temperature for us older guys, you know, it's a little more difficult. And um, I think it was just barely over the limit for wetsuits. Right. So uh, the water was a bit nippy and uh, there was a strong current against you for a lot of the race. And I was in the water so much longer than normal. <laughs> No, and unfortunately, one of my buddies uh, had a really hard time. He uh, he almost drowned. Uh, last thing he remembers was kind of like going underwater, and then next thing he remembers, he was in a boat. Jeez.
0: So Either the he, current, or like exhaustion, or?
1: Uh, was, no, well, both. It was hypothermia. Right. Uh, he's a four-time world champion, Jeez. so he, you know, he's a slouch. And uh, so he had a real difficult time. And, and, and towards the end of the race, I was, I was feeling pretty bad too. So, uh, you know, some people are better swimmers and get out of the water a little quicker, but I think the combination of the temperature and the fact that there was a strong current that the times were, for a bunch of us, were ridiculously slow and there could have even been a floating buoy, (laughs) But, uh, so that brings up a good point because, you know, the ITU or World Triathlon has done a great job over the years. I think they should look at the regulation they have now on, on the temperature cutoff because older people just can't handle the cold as well and there's a mammalian reflex that you have in your body it's a, you know self-preservation thing and it doesn't work as well when you're older so it affects you uh, more with the cold so you know sure we all want even plain fields that that's a good thing, but uh, really, the truth of the matter is that when you get up there in age, you're not really on the same plane field physiologically. So, I think that has to be taken into consideration uh, with uh, what the temperature cutoffs are, and I'd like to have them look at that really closely from a scientific point of view, and um, I think that would really help. Mm. Uh, yeah. going off on a tangent, but uh, I thought it was. No, no.
0: It's, it's a very interesting point, I, particularly when I suppose at the moment with Tokyo coming up, the focus is on kind of heat stress and overcoming that. But on the flip side, it's, uh, yeah, and the emphasis now being, again, like considerably more on, on age group racing and, and making that as, as good an experience for all the athletes as, as you can. And obviously, yeah, if you're going to be – 25 or, or 85, your body, it seems a little bit uh, wrong that you would have the same rules for temperature for, uh, oh, sorry, for um, <laughs> wetsuit or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's been talked about, but I don't know if anything is actually transpired or not, but uh, mm. sometimes it's hard to, to change. Um, Thoughts about that and change rules, but uh, I think it's a serious consideration because I think safety of the athletes is the most important thing. Yeah, regardless of what the rules say, I mean, you have to be safe. So um, I'd like to see that changed.
0: Yeah, and I mean, are there other are there other rules that have either come in or that you've either very much welcomed or not been so sure about, or, or ones that you were very happy to see the back of? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, my disappointment as far as the rules go is the drafting. Coming from a strict, you know, triathlon is an individual sport, in my opinion. Always has been and should be. And I know when they got in the Olympics for spectator, you know, issues, they wanted to not have, you know, I mean, allow drafting so, you know, that people could see the packs coming through and all that stuff. but. Uh, I don't, I don't like that rule at all. So I hope that it stays out of age group racing. I know they're experimenting with the, the uh, sh- sprint distance, but I'm hoping that's not a stepping stone into making that, you know, the norm in regular age group racing because, um, sure, you, you can draft in a swim, but that's not a really big factor, I don't think, it's not often that you find somebody who is swimming just a little faster than you or, or is navigating properly. So it's not an issue. I've never been able to draft. I don't even try to do that. And on the bike, you know, you have to follow the rules. And uh, and on the run, you know, drafting is not an issue. I don't know either. I mean, uh, it's, it's a minor situation. So um, that bothered me when the drafting came uh, to be. So uh, other than that, now, I think it's really important that we, we keep an individual sport because that's what it was to start with and I think if we stay that way. <laughs> I think it's the fairest, fairest way to, to handle it because you know you might be able to catch somebody's wheel and maybe not. So that's not an equal playing field there. I remember getting Passed by somebody in my age group uh tagging on to a, a, the young young guys and just dropped me like a, a rock you know and I was in a lead and he just blew by me with hanging on to all these twenty five rounds <laughs> you know and uh, yeah, I don't think that and that wasn't a, a draft legal race it was he was drafting illegally, but still I shows you what drafting can do for you right yeah so uh,
0: well, it was, I mean, it was hugely divisive when it came in, wasn't it? Well, I
1: understand why they did it, and I had discussions with Les McDonald a number of times. Uh, I really liked the man a lot. He's a character. Uh, too bad he's not with us anymore, but uh, I really liked the man. And, uh, yeah, we had some good discussions on on drafting. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, over the, over the years, over more than quarter of a century it's it's a sport that's brought you a huge amount of great memories right um you know if you could pick pick one moment in in either in a race or just kind of around an event that that really sticks out
1: well uh one of our local races here uh, it's no longer uh well it's called wildflower and it was olympic and um uh half ironman distance race that was the second biggest race in the United States. And it was like a Woodstock of, of triathlon. Right. You'd camp out at the lake there, and there's no hotels in the near vicinity, so you had to camp out or whatever. And it was just a real great experience every year to, to go down there, looking forward to Wildflower early in the season. So that's kind of set the tone, you know, just for the year. Uh, as far as actual races go, um, I would have to say was was Ironman two years ago uh, when, I, when I finally won the race. <laughs> so after being fortunate to, to finish on the podium every time I finished, I had never finished number one. And uh, uh, that was probably my highlight of my career so far. Uh, it's just very exciting to be there. It's a special place. Uh, the energy is there. It's hard to turn down the, if you qualify for the race, it's really hard to turn down that qualification <laughs> entry, you know. But uh, so I think that was, that was the race that stands out most. And, of course, uh, Gold Coast uh, a few years ago, too. That was uh, um, probably one of my best experiences, if not for the uh, international races. Yeah, Gold Coast. Just kind of a relief in a way that, okay, I finally uh, kind of reached the top of my sport now. So I, I feel very satisfied that, it, you know, you always try to do your best and uh, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes, you know, you, I'm happy to finish 10th if I did the best I could that day. You know, yeah. where I finish, is not super important is it knowing that I did my best. And I feel very comfortable with that. I'm happy for my friends who beat me they had a great race. That's 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 super. I, I don't have any Ill feelings of, oh, you know, this guy beat me kind of thing. <laughs> you know? It's just all part of the game. So uh, it's just nice to be able to accomplish your goals that you set for yourself. So always set your goals higher than you think you can do. And uh, that way you'll hopefully uh, push yourself a little bit more and, and get there.
0: So next year, Edmonton, is that? Very much on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I'm on schedule for Edmonton. Uh, that's, that's another <laughs> cold venue it was in September. The water, you know, and the air. The air was freezing there. And, uh, but it's a great venue. I really like racing it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to being there. Yeah, for sure.
0: How's it been this year? I mean, I was just looking, at obviously, through your results. Like, 2020 will be the first World Champs you've missed since 2007. Um, how have I, you managed, how have you been coping?
1: Yeah, it's been a challenge, I like can say, for everyone. And you just have to, what, it's not a big deal, really, because what I think of is all the people that are actually suffering from this deadly virus we've, we've had, pandemic. So in comparison, it's just a little blip in the road. So, you know, I feel for the families who have lost family members and people lost their jobs and wondering how they're going to feed their kids and things of that nature. So this is a non-event as far as not racing goes. It's, it's, it's minor. It's a inconvenience. It's not a life changing thing. No. Of suffering
0: we're, we're kind of
1: spoiled, you know, so.
0: No, quite.
1: Hmm. You know, it really hasn't changed too much other than it's winter time now. My training—if I want to run, I can run. If I could bike, you know, I like an indoor bike or, in a good day, go outside. So it really hasn't modified my lifestyle that much. You know, if I wanted to keep training heavily, it's available. So, um, but usually this time of year, just kind of let the body recover a little bit from the year's activities, and then start gearing up for the next year. You mm-hmm. know, just. An off season right
0: <laughs> did you uh, did you watch the daytona last weekend
1: absolutely i was i was glued to the computer yeah. all day long and, uh, it was just very exciting and uh, you never like there's a race where you never know what's going to happen right you just got to keep going like eden came off what 13th off the bike or something like that and you know all these great runners are ahead of him and he just kept motoring them down or I finished, he finished way back, I think more, maybe 20, 20 somethings on the bike. I think that was, and uh, he just, he just hung in there. So that shows you, you know, how triathlon is, as they say, a microcosm of life, they say, because you have all these barriers that are presented to you. You never know when they're gonna show up. You just have to fight through them. And um, I think it makes you able to handle issues in life a little better, because you, you've been through some challenges that are unexpected. And I think uh, it's a good lesson, you know, just for life lessons to uh, you know, apply your triathlon experience to life in general. You know, the women's race was outstanding. And uh, I got up early in the morning made sure I was up to see the start. And uh, I want to replay it again. <laughs> So yeah, it's too bad about Alistair, but uh gee, you know. Yeah. I saw him at the Olympic Games in London, so minutes triathlon, that was exciting.
0: Yeah, what an event, huh?
1: Yeah. Very, very nice. So I was get back to London for a world championship there. I think it was two thousand thirteen, maybe, something like that.
0: Mm. Yeah. How would you fancy racing in a circuit like Daytona though?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, people say, well, oh, did you have a great time out there? You know, is the scenery was beautiful in this race and you're going to run into the redwoods and all that stuff. And I go, no, really, I didn't pay much attention to that. I was just hunkering down and focusing on the race. You know, <laughs> so you adapt to whatever situation presents you know you you adapt to uh, the race course and you don't think about it you just do it you know <laughs> but yeah i can see where it'd be a little difficult on people who are not used to being down in that aero position for a couple hours at a time and hammering as hard as they can not getting a break so uh, mm-hmm. i can see where that could be an issue in, on that kind of particular course It's nice to have a variety of things. I don't like a flat course because you can't get away from people, you know, on the bike. That's why it's exciting because every race venue is different.
0: Yeah, no, it was great to see something so, so like new, so different, wasn't it?
1: They did a good job.
0: Yeah. Well, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, great. I appreciate the, the opportunity to discuss everything with you and, uh, I think i covered all the things I wanted to maybe mention. Well, I just want to put a shout out for USAT. They do a super job helping us uh, make our day in the uh, World Triathlon. You know, all the work those people do behind the scenes, they work as hard as we train to put on a good day for us. So I want to thank all those federations and uh, World Triathlon for doing an outstanding job for us athletes there that take things for granted sometimes so thank you usat tim Yant especially and uh, he's been a cheerleader for all us age groupers all these years and uh, without him it wouldn't have been as good as experience so thank you tim and all your staff done a wonderful job
0: great well i'm sure they will appreciate that a lot so yeah thanks ever so much bob
1: okay take care Doug.
0: Another familiar face on the age group circuit is Kate Bramley, an Australian world triathlon age group champion, ex-terra world champion and coach. Great to have you on, Kate.
2: Thanks so much. I'm excited.
0: Uh, where are you dialing in from?
2: Uh, I'm in Geelong, which is in the southern part of Australia.
0: Right. Okay. Close to Melbourne. Australia, obviously, well, presumably the site of one of your most favourite race of experiences gold coast 2018 winning the world champs on home soil that was in the 30 to 34 age group right
2: yeah that's right yeah i was uh just in that age group at that stage i think it was a really great experience uh i had a, um, quite a number of teammates also racing at the event um and a lot of people locally were training up for that event. So there's a bit of hype around it. Um, a lot of my, my local competitors from Australia and New Zealand were also in my age group. Um, and I also had a, a bunch of my university mates come up and watch me especially. So they had like t-shirts and things made up and um, it was a really, really cool atmosphere to have so many people that I knew uh, on the sidelines, but also racing at the same time. Yeah.
0: Great because obviously uh, you know a lot of people listening will be kind of seasoned age groupers there'll be some that are you know just maybe taking up triathlon for the first time um so you know I want to get into the details where you're coming from as far as like you know those first races and what can presumably be quite an intimidating not atmosphere around the races but but for yourself right the transferring from a kind of amateur training group to those those first events um do you remember back to that to that time like that, that those first races and and how you were feeling and you know just to go from from that stage to doing two races within three days on home soil <laughs> becoming a world champion you know it's it's quite a journey
2: yeah um no I definitely remember my first triathlon event I I often recount the story to my athletes that I coach here in Geelong um just i guess to to give them that experience as well so um we have a quite a big ironman event um which is a half ironman distance here in Geelong um and at that stage it had quite a number of beginner and short distance events associated with it so um really big really big event really big hype around it but there was a beginner triathlon in that race um, and I thought, what better time to do my first triathlon than in my hometown on, um, you know, local roads and things like that. So I was on a mountain bike. Um, I grew up as a, a swimmer, just a, a very local level swimmer, sort of um, really only competing in my region. Um, so I was really co- quite confident with the swim, but had no idea about really anything else. And I had probably two weeks three weeks of triathlon training sort of under my belt at that stage um so still very fresh to the sport and i remember getting out of the water in first position in front of the entire beginner triathlon field and thought i was pretty good um, <laughs> only to be passed very quickly on um nobly tie uh, well i had the knobbly ties on a mountain bike and everyone else was whizzing past me on you know, road bikes and things like that. And I was getting more and more frustrated as the event went on. And um, I actually knew quite a number of people racing alongside me and they gave me um, a bit of a kick along as I was riding and just sort of, I wasn't going anywhere fast. And um, I made it off the bike, got out onto the run and I just remember complaining the entire time going, where's the turnaround? I've had enough. This is so long. Um, And, you know, got to the finish line, but was completely stoked I was so happy to have finished and um I think within the next two weeks I went out and dropped three thousand Aussie dollars on a road bike because I thought well there's no chance that um I'm gonna have that many people pass me again on the bike I just I I I guess I fell in love with the sport from that moment but um yeah to tell people that I started on a mountain bike in a beginner triathlon often makes them feel a little bit better about their journey as well
0: (laughs) despite then two weeks later spending three grand on a, on a <laughs> new road bike
2: yeah i am um, yeah that's right and look you know i mm. i didn't spend heaps of money straight away i i bought things really cheaply i certainly don't recommend that people go out and drop thousands of dollars on a new bike straight away um but i i guess I was quite young and I had just done full-time work. So I had a bit of money to burn and thought, well, why not? Mm. Um, I'm going to give this, this sport a go for, you know, I gave myself like 12, 18 months to just have a bit of fun with it. Um, and yeah, it got away from me. <laughs> Nine, eight years later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's worth, I suppose, pointing out, you know, it is, when you see all those bikes racked up at an age group race where there's hundreds and hundreds of athletes and you see literally all kinds from the very top to the very bottom, don't you? It's, you know, nobody should ever feel self-conscious or, or worried about what kind of kit they've got really, because nobody's paying the blindest bit of notice because everyone's just on their own little journey. and um...
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I love the, I love triathlon for the fact that you can stand on the start line and look across at the field and, you really can't guess who's going to be the fastest on the day. Like there are people of all shapes and sizes and uh, people that look really fit just might be really terrible swimmers or they might have a mountain bike that doesn't go very fast or they might not have done much running training, but they're out there giving it a go. And um, I think it's a sport that really rewards – people that spend a bit of time learning it and and training um, consistently, I guess, season to season rather than just sort of zero to hero in a couple of months.
0: Yeah, and the same could be true instead of elites on a world champ start list, right? You look along that line and you've got like shoulders like bookcases, you've got kind of really slender people and again, you know, it's all shapes and sizes. And, and as a coach, then that must be quite a nice thing for, for you to know that, whoever's coming your way you could convert them into a decent triathlete right you can't just you're not going to look at someone and be like yeah this isn't going to happen unfortunately
2: (laughs) yeah for sure and um I love like particularly the people that I coach I they often come from a wide variety of backgrounds so some of them have not had any sporting experiences as youngsters or um They might be coming into the sport in their 20s. I've had people come into triathlon in their 50s or 60s, and um, they might have done swimming, cycling or running in the past, but they also might have played team sports. Um, So everyone's coming to the sport with a, a different background and a different level of knowledge of triathlon and of sport and athletes and and the human body and, and all those sorts of things and when you start to share your journey they also open up about their experiences and that as a coach really helps me sort of direct them down the right path.
0: Having friends competing in 2012 then obviously London Olympics and knowing that the world champs the next year was going to be in London as well did that all kind of play into it?
2: Yeah no I've always um, I've always followed sport and I've always followed triathlon and um, it, it's was so popular in australia in in the 90s and early 2000s Um, australia had a lot of success Um, i had a few local mentors Um, my PE teacher actually in my final years of school was a triathlete um, and he he used to talk about it so much and and really promoted me into the sport Um, i was in the relay team when i was in year 12 our final year so i had a little bit of a taste of it and I've always followed um, Australia in international sporting competitions. So the whole thing really appealed to me. And to be honest with you, I wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Europe. I'd never I'd never been before. I was 24 at the time. Um, and that was gonna be my my European trip, uh, going over to compete in London. And then um, I booked a, a five week holiday afterwards. So um, the whole thing had this really great appeal to me um and i was super motivated to to qualify for the event and then sort of had to endure another six months of training in the bitter winter cold to (laughs) actually prepare for the event but um you know i got it done and and had a great time doing it Mm. yeah
0: and did the did the aquathlon uh, in london as well right um was that a case of you know well i'm going to be there i might as well Get my money's worth. Get, get the races yep, done. Yeah,
2: it definitely was. Yeah, it was. I actually got really sick on the trip over, and I was I was in bed the week before the event, and mm. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm at a world championships. So I've got an Australian suit on. It was a really big deal for me, um, and I was I was incredibly sick, and I really shouldn't have raced or competed, but I'd come all that way, and there was no way I was going to miss it, and. Yeah, I think it was really cold that day that we did the aquathon in Hyde Park, and almost certainly. I, I actually, think they they um, they shortened the swim. I think at some point, or even in the Olympic distance, they shortened the swim. Um, and I had a chest infection. I just remember feeling terrible, and it was so cold. Um, that I, uh, by the end of the race, I was like, "Yeah, cool. I'm gonna come back next year and do this so much better and prepare better." And. I want to climb up the rankings and I want to get a medal and it just snowballs yeah from that event
0: (laughs) and it's certainly not something that obviously you know everyone turning their hands of becoming an age grouper will will achieve but that like you said pulling on that Australian suit for the first time or being handed it and then you know that must be an incredible feeling
2: yeah it's I guess like most juniors in Australia who follow sport want to be an Olympian. That's sort of a dream that's sold to us as we're growing up. And by the time you get to the age of 20, you realise, or even earlier, you realise you're probably not going to make it, That very few people qualify to represent Australia in the Olympic Games um, or as an elite athlete. So um to come across a sport like triathlon which allows you to represent your country at an amateur level was super exciting um because it's it's almost like your childhood dream is allowed to become true again in a way
0: have you or do you coach people that you know are coming to it in their 40s 50s
2: yeah no I am I've I actually thought about it the other day. So, uh, the the breadth of ages that I have at the moment in my triathlon group that I coach is twenty through to seventy one. Wow. Um, actually, I have I have also one junior who's not local. He he's by correspondence. He's uh sixteen, turning seventeen. So, um, a really big spread of ages. I think coming from a teaching background, um has really taught me really good skills of communication with a wide variety of people. So not only students, but other teachers and staff members and things like that. So um, those sorts of skills have really helped me in my coaching. Um, But I do love the fact that the other day I had a beginner 20 year old um, young female triathlete who was on her first group ride and she was next to my 70 plus year old um, male who has, has done so many races and had so many experiences in the sport and I just thought, wow, how cool is that? Like, how many opportunities do you have for a new 20 year old to um join a sport and, and be somewhat mentored by somebody who's in their seventies who has so much life experience as well as triathlon experience in the same riding bunch. I just think that's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sort of encapsulates it all in one little image, doesn't
1: it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really did. I sat back in the bunch and I thought, that's so cool. I don't need to say a word. Like, I'm just going to let them talk and and feed off each other. And I think that's the beauty of of having it your own business or your own coach uh, so your own coaching group or those little small groups of triathletes that you know they inherently develop in towns that are really conducive to the sport, I guess. I think as a, like, if I put my coach hat on, the people that come to the sport are largely coming for the lifestyle. They're coming for the fitness benefits. They want to meet like-minded people. Um, they want to improve their skills and, you know, they want to be able to go to a local event and have a good time. That is it's really, that's the large participation base of, of triathletes. Um, you do have that small percentage in the group that do want to represent Australia. Um and, you know, it's it's a matter of you as a coach to help them balance that with their their other their other life. They've got work, they've got family commitments, social commitments. It's you know, it is it is its own sport, but it's really three disciplines and my job as a coach is to make it fit and to make it still enjoyable and fun for them to achieve what they want but make sure it um, doesn't impact on other areas of their
0: life Hmm. you know considering the the upheaval of last year and the kind of lack of race opportunities and things it seems like a lot of top level athletes have, have really taken advantage of a rare bit of downtime to to sort of dial it back and just keep you know obviously keep that consistency going but not enjoying not having to kind of set themselves constant targets and so on and um it'd be interesting to see what effect that has on the athletes when they, when it comes back to racing and, and, you know, kind of recharging that hunger must be the case in, for a lot of them, um, just to be able to come back and be like, okay, so January's ticked around again and feeling like they can definitely attack the year. Yeah, for sure. Um, so
2: I- I do follow the news and what's going on around the world, but I guess I'll give you the perspective of what's going on here in Australia. And, um, down here in in Melbourne, in our region, we had two lockdowns and I, I observed from afar bias driver and, and things like that, you know, athletes really going hard with their training in that first lockdown because all of a sudden they didn't have to commute to work. They, um, They had a a little bit more spare time on their hands and they thought what a great opportunity to almost do like a training camp for, I think it ended up being like 12 weeks. And uh, we saw a lot of people burn out really quickly, really early. Um, We did have a second lockdown down here in Melbourne and people were a lot more conservative. A lot of people had burnt out. They, it it did help that we were in the depths of winter by then, so uh, not many people were as keen to get outside. and during that time, I just turned back to my athletes and I said, you know what, we need to just have fun with this. We, we're we still training for triathlon, but there's there's no events in the foreseeable future for us. And this is going back last year. So um, it was more a matter of finding that one person that we were allowed to train with and and meeting up with them and, you know, using it as a social outing. Um, I made sure I got around to as many athletes as I could see in that time Um Obviously, with all of the, the COVID safe restrictions and distancing and things like that, but we were allowed to train with one other person. So, where possible, I would go out for a bike ride with, with all my athletes, you know, individually or a run or, or whatever. Um, or, or sometimes it was just meeting up for a coffee in a mutual location. So, um, really, w- we kept it pretty low key as I did with my own training. I had no opportunities to travel after February. Um, most of my key events are international events in in the Xterra circuit. Um, So all of them were cancelled and, you know, Maui was my goal in November and I I couldn't go. Um, Ultimately I ended up injured at the start of the year as well. So the the whole scenario last year meant that I I didn't do much training at all. I did a a few bike Ks, um, but I really just had fun with it. Um, Just helped out my athletes and, was all social training so um to flip it back to I guess that international level and world triathlon and things like that um it will be interesting to see how everyone goes um everyone's going to be in different environments they might not be in their usual training squad that they've been in they might be training on their own a bit more um there a lot of people have ultimately been stuck in the same location for a long period of time um so depending on how the the season pans out, even travel is going to be really tricky. So at the moment, Australians are going to find it super difficult to travel anywhere. Um, Our borders are essentially closed, Um, still to New Zealand as well. So,
0: Is there any indication of a sort of timeline on that? Or I suppose they can't be at the moment because nobody knows what what the next week holds, let alone the next sort of month or so.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of talk with the Trans-Tasman bubble between Australia and New Zealand. Um, they were hoping it'd be sooner rather than later, but I think. Good opportunity um, to like reopen
0: that sporting rivalry (laughs) to the max and just be like, right, we're going (laughs) to go head to head in pretty much everything we can.
2: Yeah. And, um, I think it's on its way. I, I know that it's, it's in the headlines at the moment. I don't think they have a definitive date. I would say it's still a couple of months away rather than weeks. Hmm. Um, it, it, I guess we'll see, it's a forever changing environment but um, we had our first event here in Melbourne uh, just on the weekend and it was, it was actually really great just to see everyone out and about um, and it was kind of refreshing for people to race without huge expectations. Everyone was just so excited to be racing um, and to see people they hadn't seen for a long time, like their competitors or athletes that you know, travel to come to this event that they hadn't seen for 12 months. So it was nice with that, having that atmosphere.
0: I mean, you've raced with, I mean, on mixed relay teams and so on with the likes of Charlotte McShane and, and in Monaville, is that right? So uh, you're... Yeah,
2: Tam's in Melbourne at the moment. And I, I actually raced Charlotte on the weekend um, oh, right. in just that local Melbourne race. So I think Charlotte's on the comeback trail from injury. Um she doubles in a bit of cross triathlon um, and, yeah, she sometimes visits Melbourne. She's got family um, within sort of a couple of hours of Melbourne, so she's, she's down here. Got a couple of, of younger athletes coming up and um, a comment was made by one of the, the mums, actually. She said it's just such a thrill for the junior athletes to stand on the same starting line as somebody of, of Charlotte's calibre. Um, you know, with all her success on the, on the international stage for her to come to a Melbourne event, which, you know, for these young juniors is one of their biggest events. Um, but for her, it's, I guess, a bit of a training run and a comeback race and yeah. um, to share the start line, that's a really unique experience for them um, and awesome that she's she's out there doing that with us.
0: Yeah. Cross triathlon has kind of taken over your life. Is that is that where your heart... Your heart lies, really, or
2: yeah. Um, so over the course of, I guess, the last few years, um, really, I, it really kick started when the Cross Triathlon World Championships came to Australia. So I think that was 2016. Um, there wasn't a huge field, but I I trained specifically for that particular event and thought, well, why not? It's a, a World Championships in my home country. There's no way I'm going to miss that. Um, and really fell in love with mountain biking. Um, obviously, like I had some success at that event. I, I won my age group and I was in the mixed Relay team with Charlotte and Ben Allen, who's a quite a famous cross triathlete. Um, and another guy, Rowan Beggs French, who's equally um, a really good cross triathlete who was amateur at that stage. So... Um, it was awesome to be on the in the same relay team as people of that caliber, and um, my love for trails and mountain biking developed from there. And I guess I saw it as an opportunity to continue the sport on the international stage, but step away from that age group um, world championship sort of I guess you could call it a circuit. But you know, going to All these big, huge international trips every year was starting to burn a hole in my pocket. (laughs) So I was looking for a way to um, support that. Um, And by racing as a professional, there's opportunities to earn prize money. There's also opportunities for me to um, develop in the sport still, so to learn new skills, meet new people, travel to new places, all of which really started to appeal to me after I had done I'm going to say four, four or five years of, um, amateur and world champs, So yeah. Just to be, a be able new to guy, dust really. off
0: that mountain bike for the first time since 2012, when you've got the, the new road bike in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I did upgrade the bike.
0: <laughs> well, uh, thanks ever so much for, for coming on, taking the time.
2: Thank you, Doug. I appreciate the opportunity. It's not often you get to reflect on, your own triathlon journey i guess quite like this.
0: you know what are your next events what's on the on the schedule is there a schedule um, uh,
2: <laughs> there is Xterra's released a an asia pacific tour schedule um i was really hoping to do that circuit um i don't think that'll happen given the current situation here in australia um my eyes are still set on the Xterra world championships in maui in november So hopefully by then we can travel, Um, but we'll see, I guess.
0: All right. Well, good luck putting it all together ahead of that. And uh, yeah, let's hope things are returning to normal sooner than...
2: I think we're all wishing that. (laughs) Thanks,
0: Doug. All right, cool. Take care. Our third age group legend on the podcast is Great Britain's Peggy Crome. In 2019, Peggy won the 75 to 79 age group sprint distance race, 25 years after her first World Championship in Wellington in 1994. Peggy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And we were just totting up. That's 20 World Championships. Uh, but, yeah, how many times have you have you donned the, the GB vest in total?
3: Yeah, I've been um, representing Great Britain, or I have uh, represented Great Britain 42 times altogether. Uh, of those 42... There were 27 podium finishes, and of those 27 podium finishes, I had uh, I won 16 gold medals.
0: Incredible! Uh, where do you keep that many gold medals?
3: <laughs> well, as I speak, there's a pile of ribbons in the corner of my room. <laughs> I think it's time I sorted them out a bit and put them in um, sort of some sort of prestigious order. So. <laughs> I, I'm afraid to say, what when you get as to my age, you um you sort of you just get to a stage where you think, what do I do with them all? You know, yeah. but um, I'm yeah, sure. I'm going to sort them out so that I have my world um, world medals, then maybe Europeans, and then I've done a few um, 70.3 Ironman uh, events as well, which don't come into this equation right yeah. now. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to. It, if this um, lockdown continues much more, who knows? I may get them organised.
0: <laughs> Could be the perfect thing to uh, get stuck into. Yeah. So, um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? And and what's, um, you know, obviously no signs of stopping just yet then?
3: No, no, no. This is a, the good thing about triathlon is that you actually, in a strange sort of way, look forward to getting older because obviously you go up in age group mm. and, and your best years are, especially as you get older, uh, your best years are when you're up in a new age group. Yep. So, um, yeah, like when I went up to 75, I won the Worlds. And then the following year, I won the Worlds again. Now, because 2020, because of the COVID um, virus, there were no competitions. So I have... In my head, been world champion uh, three years in a row for the last three, yeah. but um, next year, uh, hopefully, um, no, I'm saying next year, next this year, year um, yeah, the Worlds are going to be in Bermuda, so I should be competing there, but um, highly unlikely that I shall get another gold there, but, you know, I'm in it to take part and, and to do my best, so we'll see how it goes.
0: So, would Bermuda be your first one in the next stage group? No, you're still no. Oh, I see, exactly. So, you'd be one of the um, more senior of the seventy-five to seventy-nine.
3: That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, my next big step, sadly, will be when I'm eighty. <laughs> um,
0: uh, well, yeah. Suffice to say, it's taken you to some pretty incredible places. Then, um, what what was it in 1994 that got you into that first? event you know what was your sport background at Um, that time
3: well I have to say uh, back in the 80s and 90s things weren't organized as they are today Mm. and um I really can't remember how I qualified um but anyway I did and asked if I could have the time off work and well they did let me have a few days off so yeah that was my very first one in 1994 in Wellington yeah and um that was quite an eye-opener for me because most of what I'd done before that were nice, kind, friendly little local events, you know, in Devon, Somerset, <laughs> wherever. Yeah. Uh, but then going into the World Championships in New Zealand, there were so many people there. And when the claxon went, and this was in um, Wellington Harbor, when the claxon went, it was mayhem. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening, you know, it's talk about washing machine, it was like being in a washing machine with a hundred other people, but anyway, at the very beginning, I kept stopping and letting people go by, I was a little bit um, freaked out by it, but then I thought, I'm never going to cover the distance doing this, so then I got a completely new mindset, I thought, right, you can't beat them, join Mm -hmm. them, and then it goes out, and um, and uh, kick my feet up. And anybody that got near me, I sort of accidentally, on purpose, give them a bit of a, it doesn't sound nicest, does it? But give them a bit of a, um, a, a wallop. And, uh, you know, I had to be a little bit more assertive, and that got me through in the end. But, yeah, I was being a bit too polite in the beginning and uh, a bit too kind.
0: Because, <laughs> I mean, so- e- even in the sort of mid, early to mid-90s, triathlon you know in in the UK certainly what is nowhere near the profile it has now so were you one of the few people you knew that was you know getting into this multi-sport bug
3: that's right I was like pushing boundaries uh, and especially pushing boundaries for women because in in my first event here in Barnstable I'm here I'm at Westford Hill, which is quite Mm -hmm. close there were 57 entrants and only two women you know, women didn't do it on the whole. And then I thought, well, if men can do it, I can do it. But um, so I thought, well, I'll have a go at it. And yeah, I did it. And I was probably about seven eighths of the way down the sort of finishing list. So I was quite pleased with that. Uh, I don't know what happened to the other lady. She was ahead of me. She beat me. Um, But she was younger than me. But that goes without saying. I've always been like, um, how can I put it, quite old in triathlon because... When I started, I was already sort of in my early 40s, but um, there was a lady from uh, Gloucester, I believe, she she did it, and uh, yeah, we got through it. And then very gradually, um and started to take off. But the worst thing for us at the time was the fact that we could not wear, we could not use uh, wetsuits. So that made like a great difference to, you know, how many people entered because not only did you have to do your swim your bike and your run you had to be at a stage where you could um, swim a mile or whatever in really cold water and uh, not suffer sort of uh, bad effects
0: from Mm. it well I've just seen the view outside your window have you uh, have you always lived that close to the sea and is that part of the the hardiness that has kind of brought you to this point or no
3: no, no, not at all. I, I've actually only been here about a year. It's, it's always, always been my dream to have a house with a sea view. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, before I came here, I was in Mid-Devon, in Egisford Forest. Mm-hmm. I had um, a lump sum when I retired from teaching, and I bought myself an endless pool. So, And I got about an acre of garden there because, you know, people have big gardens in Mid-Devon. And... <laughs> I bought myself an endless pool and uh with nearly all my training in the endless pool instead of measuring distance I would count what I called right armors how many right armors I did per 250 meters and all, all the time even when I was doing um 70.3 a triathlon I'd worked out mm-hmm. in yeah. my head how many right armors it was um it's a uh, 150 right armors per (laughs) 250 meters which is not really very good but it it worked for me and then like for it's like
0: a pioneering technique have you shared this with anyone
3: yeah and and my, my coach Penny Rother she it was a whole new ball game for her because instead of giving me distances to do she would say x number of right armors doing this y number of right armors doing something else it was a It was quite quite strange, really. But even now, and actually, it's not a bad thing for anybody to do. If if you're in a triathlon and you're you're doing say you know 1.5 k or whatever, um, if it helps to keep you in a good even rhythm, and it also tells you exactly where you are, because say as soon as the claps and goes, instead of panicking, you just start counting in your head one. So, and you get into that nice even rhythm, and then do you see what I mean. Like uh, for, um let's say, fifteen hundred meters, I would have to do six sets of one hundred and fifty right armors. Yeah. But then, uh, most of the time, uh, I could tell exactly, you know, where I was in in the um, in the whole distance. So that was quite good.
0: Yeah, and quite reassuring if you've got, you know, no matter what's going on around you, you're just constantly ticking over those numbers. You sort That's of right. yeah, yeah, keeps you.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. Sorry, um, I'm
3: really bad at that. I've probably gone off the original question.
0: What was it? No, I've got no idea myself. I mean, it's fine. We're just having a chat. It's lovely.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, well, no, you were just talking about like the early days. I
0: suppose, yeah. What was it? You know, when you were in your forties, uh, why? What? What made you sort of join up?
3: Well what happened? I it really in my head started when I was 39 because at 39 I started looking round at people that were 40 and over and thinking this is the beginning of the end of life on earth. So but oh. at, at the time it, um I I used to teach at the West of England School. Mm-hmm. There's a guy there who used to run marathons and we were all in awe of him, Ian Sneddon. And I was at the time smoked like a train. And um I said to Ian in the staff room one day, how long does it take to train to run a marathon? And they all fell about laughing because like I was a smoker.
0: And I had one on the go at the time.
3: <laughs> and um, Ian was very, he was the only one in the whole staff room that took it seriously. And he said, oh, probably about six months. I thought, oh, that sounds good. And um then what I did, I lived at a little village called Nimit Rowland at the time and I set myself a mile from home and a mile back, obviously, and um, mm-hmm. I really could not run a hundred yards, without so sort of stopping and, <coughs> and you know, we breath. prepared, but I stuck with it and that first uh, sort of two miles then, I would like jog and uh, then walk and then jog and walk and then it really, really took two or three months before I could run two miles. But then, because in the meantime I'd also stopped smoking, mm-hmm. the graph sort of um, suddenly went up and up in leaps and bounds. I could do two miles, and then three, and then four, and so it went on. And um, then I entered um, my very first half marathon. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was cold. It was wet. It was windy. It was sleeting. It was in January. Um, But yeah, I I did it and I did it in one hour, 58 minutes and there are loads of people behind me. I couldn't believe it. So, um, yeah, that was like a time. And then um, after that, I did the uh, Exeter Marathon a couple of times, Mm -hmm. the Barnstable North Devon Marathon.
0: They sound quite hilly, are they?
3: Yeah, they are. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I was doing marathons then in about sort of well, in about four hours, I used to do it with my brother who who also used to run a lot. Mm. and um my magic time would be to get under the four hours, his magic time to get under three. So we used to go together and be a bit competitive, but still have that our difference between our time. so,
2: yeah,
0: nice. They were good, nice. Uh, so I mean, w- Given all of that, you know, very sort of West of England centric, um, What? why did you choose Wellington as your first World Sorry. Championships? Like,
3: because I was still I was still working there, still teaching. And very often, you know, World Championships came like in the middle of a term and I couldn't do it. Um, so I can't remember which is the second one without looking at back at my list of things. But um, then eventually, sort of like later in nine, 1990, beginning of 2000s um, they became I think a lot of it was actually going back was to do with wetsuits when we could wear wetsuits lots of people came into it Hmm. and um, yeah then I went to um, I did uh, Australia I've done Australia three times altogether Uh, quite twice on the Gold Coast Gold Coast is my lucky grand because I've always had golds in Gold Coast yeah then there was one also in Perth. Uh, then I've done one in Beijing. It was really quite interesting to go to China, actually, because, you know, I, I do like to go to countries and sort of visit them and, you know, try to understand their cultures and and, and what have you. I mean, obviously, getting... Yeah. This is but um you know it, it's such a wonderful sport where you can go off meet your friends and go off to a different corner of the road which hopefully you've not been to before
0: yeah so yeah did you presumably you developed like a real sort of bond with some of the other athletes and you'd all get together and that would be the time that you would see each other again and it's like yeah. whew, spend the whole time on the way re, reliving the last race and then uh, yeah. building up to the next one
3: yeah and then everybody's got their own silly little stories to tell and uh and you know how they got through the winter and what the winter was like um then I did one in one of the roads was in Vancouver and that was horrendous although it was in June it was the coldest June they've ever had and um and there was a gale blowing up and it was really cold and so cold that the the day before they said that if we wanted we could wear um, a fleece on the bike and wear gloves and the day before my friend Georgina and and I we went into this gardening shop we got gardening gloves because we went to Vancouver thinking summertime June and we had to buy, buy all this stuff and it was absolutely freezing and it was so cold and and the sea got really rough that the last group to do the proper triathlon was we women. When the men came along, they said, "No, no, we're going to have to make it into a duathlon. It's too dangerous out in the sea." This is after we
0: after the tough the toughies had gone out.
3: And I, I was going up this hill, and there's um Sarah Springman. She said, "Because I think it must have been in two loops. She was overtaking me." And she said, you all right, Peggy? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a bit cold though. She said, carry on, you'll soon warm up. Anyway, eventually finished it, and you would not believe this, but my friends will, be, will tell you it's true. And um, walking along the front after the race had finished, I said, hang on a minute, my feet were numb by then. I said, hang on a minute, there's, I've got something in my shoe. And I always used to use a shoehorn to get my shoes on properly. And in the bottom of my shoe was a shoehorn, which <laughs> I didn't even know it was there. My feet were so numb, but um, yeah, Ouch. it was. It was really. It was quite. Um,
0: yeah. One. So was Sarah someone that you regularly saw on the saw around oh, as well? Spring-Man. In the...
3: Yeah, it's yeah, Sarah Spring when uh, <laughs> You're much too young to know Sarah, no doubt. Oh
0: no, I've I've met her a couple of times. She's Have a, you Really? Yeah, oh, amazing well, woman.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Sarah was uh, uh, Sarah Springman, Sarah Coop. There were the two Sarahs that 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 actually, you know, did a huge amount to get triathlon off the ground here in Great Britain. Yeah, especially for women, especially for women. Yeah, I used to get a Christmas card from her, but I've I've rather lost touch with her now. But we're all great friends
0: and and do you do you invariably like hang around and watch watch the elite races have you have you followed the elites like as you've oh, you yeah, know yeah. over the over the decades as well quite closely
3: yeah absolutely yes i mean yeah. and and although you know <clears throat> many of us think oh they're elite but you know they're such nice people that, like um the brownlees and that you know i've sort of chatted with them in uh, various hotels we've been in they're just I think we, we often forget they're just normal people, and they really do appreciate, especially like Great Britain. We have more, probably more supporters than than any other country because yeah, we're, we're just so good at age grouping in um, in Great Britain. But um, yeah, and they do appreciate that sort of um, support they get from us, and uh, even like uh, Tim Don as well. You know, yeah, uh, they, we, we always sort of go a bit over the top perhaps but it's a good thing to do <laughs> totally
0: and as far as the, the like you know the fashions the on fashions over the years have you do you try and keep up with 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 the kit a little bit
3: well yeah the thing is unfortunately unfortunately for for we sort of ordinary age groupers with the kit changing every three years say if you bought new kit you're only likely to wear it two or three times it just it never gets worn out and then they won't allow you to race until you've got you know whoever is doing the sponsor which is fair enough um but then i've got so much old kit here and i think well, oh. and if i wear it to a local race like gb kit in a world race, they think i'm going to be like blazing a trail you're
0: a marked woman
3: yeah that's not the case at all <laughs> So, no, but um, I do buy, you know, if I need something, I buy it. Unfortunately, you know, I can't keep on sort of buying new stuff every year. But, um, you know, it, just a tri-street alone is sort of, sort of a good hundred pounds already. But,
0: hmm.
3: yeah.
0: And carting your bike around the place, you know, Bermuda, you're going to have to get your bike over there. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. You get used to that. And, um, yeah. get, I mean even women would you believe know how to take a bike apart and put them back together again <laughs> yeah but um I have to say I've done a few aquathons and that is such a joy because to travel without a bike box is just it's just uh, it's just freedom you know
0: <laughs> yeah god yeah, yeah can imagine but
3: no, it, it's just something you get used to and um you know I do sort of if I hire my bike box out, you know, I'll try to tell people how to take it apart and how to do it. Um, because a lot of people I think look at like especially um GB um qualifiers, they, they think, oh my gosh, and it is a bit of a minefield and you do need to sit down with somebody. And I've got there's someone here in um um Bidifred actually, she, she she's just just qualified to Stanford and it, it is a bit of a minefield and, and I've been through with her step-by-step step, what she has to do, where and when, because uh, you know, you have to pay money to sort of register and then you do this and then you do that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting there, but um, I think the whole system possibly does need simplifying a bit. But um, I mean, usually people, if they've qualified, they sort of attack it from the other end and get hold of somebody Possibly like me, who's sort of done it before and um, know know what to do step by step. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you can sort of mentor up someone through it a little bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The grandchildren must be pretty impressed by this. Uh,
3: well, my youngest uh, Hannah, she's a very good uh, cyclist. She, right. she um, she's doing um, quite well on cycling, um, but my grandchildren are quite old. I've actually got two great-grandchildren as well. Two lads, two little boys.
0: Oh, right. Wow.
3: Uh, and then three, yeah. it <laughs> make me feel old, but um, I just don't feel old. I Probably, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: Clearly not, and I'd say a very good thing.
3: Well, I have to say, it did hit me rather hard But when COVID came along and they said, all people over 17 must stay inside. I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. And there was me thinking, oh, I can go out and help people if they want shopping and that. But then I suddenly realized that I was the one that actually needed help. <laughs>
0: At least on paper. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Well, hopefully see you for a cup of tea in Bermuda.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll um I'll carry on with my training in the meantime. My my coach Penny Rothe, she's great actually, because um she sends me my little training schedule. And she's actually retired, well, just recently retired doctor, so she's an ideal coach for me because she's obviously sort of 60ish whatever and um you know any injuries i get i just run them by her and uh, yeah she's very supportive and almost understands what old people need you know for you know which is actually quite important is not to sort of you know train hard every day but you know just to um maybe have an extra day's rest and things like that
0: mm. Casting back to that July, August leading up to Lausanne, what were you putting in during a week? What was a, you know, a, a peak week?
3: I honestly can't tell you that because I would just... I mean, it's not... If you'd asked me when I was training for Ironman 70.3, I could have told you how many miles. But you see, with the sprint and standard distance, it's more well, to my mind, it's more about quality than actual distance. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially for older people, it, it's not about putting in what I would call rubbish miles. It's more about putting in quality workouts. Mm. Um, so, yeah, hard to... I really couldn't answer it sensibly. I mean,
0: no, I, no but, I, but I mean, you'd be going to the pool like a couple of times a week. Yeah,
3: yeah that's uh, right. Well, very roughly, I would be doing... Uh, two pool swims and a sea swim. Uh, And then I'd be running three times a week, cycling three times a week. Uh, And then uh, usually one of those would be a brick session where um, in fact, one of the workouts Penny would give me would be uh, so long on the bike, off that, go for a run, back on the bike, go for a run, and just keep sort of alternating, bike run, bike run, bike run, which they they were pretty tough. But um, yeah, yeah they're, they're good things to do just to um, to get you, because so often, especially you know on a longer one, with the triathlon, you, you must know what it's like, you get off the bike and you, you try to run and you think you've picked up somebody else's legs, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, these days I'd be quite glad to pick up somebody else's legs, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs>
0: Love it. Great stuff from Peggy, rounding off three heroes of the sport to keep an eye out for if you're heading to Bermuda in mid-October or Edmonton in mid-August this year for the World Triathlon Age Group Championships. All going well, next week we should have a special edition with the Falcon himself, New Zealand's Hayden Wild. Thanks for listening.